welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. My name is Micah, if we haven't met. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Awaken. So glad you're here. I just spent the last week in Chicago at the annual Midwinter Conference, which is a part of a, it's the annual conference for our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. So uh, I didn't want to, um, I, often I've, I, I go to conferences and then I forget that I, I have to teach every week. So I go to a conference and I'm sitting there wanting to hang out with all my friends and they're like, hey, do you want to go out for a Coke? And I say, oh, no, I have to preach. So I decided I would have somebody teach this week so then I could say yes to going out for Cokes all week. So there you go. So that's what I've been doing all week. Um, I am very, very excited to introduce uh, a good friend of mine to you, uh, Stephanie Spencer. Um, Steph is, has been a part of the rabbi uh, group that I talk about often, and uh, her, her children and our children have gone to school together for the last couple of years, and uh, somebody that I am just really growing to love and respect uh, a great deal. So it's my honor, and I'm very excited to, to have her teach this morning. So would you please give a warm awake and welcome to my friend Steph Spencer. Well, good morning. I'm glad to have helped Micah enjoy those Cokes this week and have fun at his conference. Um, I am really excited to be here. I've been kind of a friend of Awaken from afar for quite a while. I listen to the podcast. I know some people here, and it's been really fun. Um, I'm one of the people who leads the um, studies once a month, so it's been fun getting to know some of you at those studies as well and to then see you here this morning. So um, when I preach, I like to start with prayer and to start my prayer with a little bit of silence because um, if you are like me, um, you ran about 10 minutes late this morning, Um, And maybe if you're like me and have kids, you, for the 18 millionth time, were wondering where your kid's shoe went. Like, where do shoes go in the house when you have children? I don't know, but they're always missing when you're trying to get out the door. Whatever was going on, there's often stress before you get to this place, and it can take a while to kind of settle in. So I want to invite us to just take a little bit of space to breathe, to settle into being here. I'll just leave some quiet, and then I will pray. So go ahead and get comfortable. Close your eyes, open your eyes, whatever. God, I thank you for the chance to be gathered here this morning. I thank you for bringing us here from whatever we have left behind in our regular daily lives in order to come and be in this place and have the courage to open up our minds and hearts to hear what you might have for us. I pray that you would um, just meet us here in a tangible way. Give us the words that we need to grow and to learn, to change, to be encouraged. We just thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word and for a word that brings so much life so many years after it was written. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Uh, We are going to be in Mark 6 today, and uh, please stand with me, if you would, for the reading of today's scripture. It's a long one, so buckle up. Mark 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? 
and they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had had him bound up and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. You may be seated. So um, I think it's customary when a guest preacher comes to give them like a nice feel-good sermon, something where people can walk away and be like, I'm so glad I came to church today. And uh, this is the passage Micah gave me. So happy Sunday. (laughs) Uh, In defense of him, it's a narrative lectionary and the passage comes and it's what we enter into. But um, I've had the opportunity to kind of wrestle through where to go with this passage because it's thick. There's a lot here and there's a lot of hard stuff here. And... uh, I'm perhaps going to take the easy way out because I'm going to focus on the first two stories a little more than the last um, because there's a thread there that I really want to follow. And I think when you're talking about a story like the last one, um, we really need time to dive into the reality of suffering in order to do justice to that, and I wouldn't have time for that today. So we're going to buckle up and go with the first two stories, and let's dig in. So way back in Mark 3, uh, Jesus recruited his disciples, and when he did, he told them that he would be sending them out at some point. And with all of the urgency of Mark's gospel and his storytelling, and there's, this thing happens, and this thing happens, and this thing happens, the readers have kind of been left wondering, when is Jesus actually going to send these disciples out? Like he said he's going to, when is that going to happen? And uh, in my humble opinion, 
after last week's message would have been a great time, right? Jesus, like this woman gets healed just by touching Jesus's cloak. He raises a girl from the dead. Like this is a high in ministry. Things are going awesome. Like what a time to send them out. But I want to play that thought out a little bit. Um, and I want to do that by asking an all-play question. Do you do my all-play questions sometimes? Uh, okay, so this is something that I do. I'm a part of Genesis. We do this at Genesis, and I've come to love this as a part of preaching. So um, all-play questions means that every once in a while I'm going to ask a question and actually hope that you say something out loud. Um, so please do, uh, because there's something that happens when this becomes interactive and we can hear each other's voice that I think adds a really beautiful dimension. So I'm going to ask an all-play question here. So imagine being a disciple of Jesus, and imagine him turning to you at that moment after healing this woman just by her touching his cloak, after raising someone from the dead, and him looking at you saying, it's your turn, go out there, do it. Uh, what would you be thinking or feeling? Not me. <laughs> Not me, I heard. Yeah, right. I heard over there. What else? Say it louder. Excitement. So we got both feelings. Yeah, right. Not me. Excitement. Any other feelings? Amazed. So there's a little bit of a mix, right? I heard the, yeah, rights come sooner. So those of us who are afraid, maybe that pops up really quickly. And I think that probably would be a kind of a mix for people. Like, oh, this is awesome, but what is God expecting of me? Like, this feels exciting, this feels amazing, but can I really do that? Oh, I don't know. I might be really scared, actually. And so... Here comes today's passage. So sandwiched between Jesus raising someone from the dead and Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread is a story of Jesus getting rejected in his hometown and John the Baptist being beheaded. And sandwiched in the middle of those two is the moment that Jesus chooses to send out the 12. And I wonder what kind of purpose there might be in that timing. So when Jesus returns to Nazareth, uh, he does not receive a hero's welcome. And I love the way that the message translation tells this story and helps us really hear what's going on. It says, on the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He was a real hit, impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden with such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter. Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell sprawling. And they never got any further. Have you ever had the experience of going home and suddenly reverting to who you were in high school? Now, sometimes that's on us and the choices we're making in that circumstance, but I heard knowing laughter, so I think that's happened to a lot of us. Often, that happens because of others and the way that they are choosing to still see us. The people of Nazareth had a hard time seeing past who Jesus was in order to see who he was becoming. Now, in Jesus' case, it's likely that he wasn't a goof-off adolescent who was suddenly making good. Um, but still, they've probably seen him skin his knee, They've maybe seen him play ball in the street or hold hands with his mom. And now he's standing up in the synagogue with this authority and they can't handle it. They take offense. In Greek, skandalizo. They're scandalized and tripped up by Jesus. So the text follows with something interesting. 
it says that Jesus can't do miracles there. Jesus doesn't force himself on people. He invites them to choose how to respond, and then he gives them what they want. He marvels at their unbelief, and he does what he can, but he doesn't have near the showing of power that he did just one chapter before. And I wonder what would happen if we could learn from this and look at people in our lives, not from who they have been, but to look at who are they becoming. And I wonder what would happen if we could do the same thing with Jesus and we could move past how we maybe have seen Jesus in our childhood and look at the Jesus standing before us now and wonder, what is there here for me? What is there here for us? And how might this story be different if Nazareth could have done that? But they can't, and so uh, it's kind of a bummer of a story, actually. Yet that is the point after that story that Jesus chooses to send out the 12 after a situation that could easily be read as failure. So let's do another all-play question. Uh, how would you define failure? What are some synonyms for failure? Oh, yeah, there's an acronym. First attempt, um, oh, I know you guys, have some of you seen the acronym. If not, like, Google it when you get home. First attempt, something, so, it's an acronym. Yep, other, other definitions, synonyms of failure. Quitting. Loser. Not being able to do something. Not giving something your full attention. Being human. A learning experience. You guys are like, oh, I can stop preaching right now because you've already learned the lesson of this text. <laughs> awesome. That's totally right. Failure is being human. Failure is a learning experience. We are so afraid of that word and that concept because we tend to, humans tend to define failure as a certain outcome. I was hoping for this and that didn't happen and therefore I failed. But what if what Jesus is showing us here and in the timing of the 12 is what you guys already know, that that's not what failure means and looks like? Because God isn't asking us for outcome. God is asking us for process and for faithfulness to go and do something that he has asked and not be overly focused on the outcome. And what if it's important that the disciples saw Jesus get rejected right out of the gates before they are sent so that they can go out with that as part of their framework? So Mark 3 um, said that he gathered them so he could send them out. And now in Mark 6, it says that he began sending them out. The question is to do what? And they say that in verses 12 and 13, that they preach to help sick people, and they preach that people should repent. It's time for another all play. What comes to your mind when you hear the word repent? Turn around. Ooh, we gotta, we'll come back to that. Ask for forgiveness. Change. Ooh, what was that? Angry old man, yes. I was waiting for someone to say something a little, you know, 
juicier. And, you, and I heard shame up here, too. Repent can be a pretty loaded word. For some of us, we've had a good experience with that idea, that concept, and we can list words like turn around and make a change. But for some of us, a word like repent feels like an angry old man who's shaming us and telling us all the things that we have done wrong. But up here, you're ahead of the game. In Greek, the word is metaneo, which means to change your mind, to think differently. The disciples are going out to bring a message of return. Come back to God, find forgiveness, find hope, risk thinking differently, and learn of the love that's calling after you. So for some of us today, that right there, you ignore the rest of the message, and that's what you need to hear is that that is what God is saying. He's saying, Risk thinking differently. Learn how much I love you. Risk turning around and seeing a new way of living. For many of us here, if we believe in Jesus and we've been following him, then we're in the position right now today of being that disciple and asking how might Jesus be sending us out to preach that same thing that the disciples were preaching. Now preach can sound, that can sound like a big intimidating churchy word. Um, but I believe this is the message of freedom we're all meant to share. And there's a famous quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It says, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And so I wonder how Jesus might be looking at each of us and sending us out to preach with our lives, to share the gifts that we have, to go out and help people people change their minds about how God feels about them, to bring hope to people who just so desperately need a different way of living. But that, for me at least, is the moment fear can strike pretty deep, right? Who am I to do that? Who am I to help people? What if they don't like me? What if I fail? What if I do it wrong? What if I offend somebody like And the truth is, according to that definition of failure as being outcome-oriented, we might fail when we try to do this. I have uh, have blogged for a number of years, and I've written blog posts that I'm, like, certain will be viral and just get, like, shared. They're just awesome. And, like, two people read them, right? Um, I have stood up in front of groups like this and talked and just laid huge, gigantic stink bombs as I have been working out my gifting and calling, I absolutely have tried too hard and done it poorly. I've tried to build friendships with people and gotten the cold shoulder. Sometimes I've been the one to screw up. Sometimes other people have been the ones to kind of push me aside. And that's part of the journey. Micah has mentioned earlier in this series the connection in Mark's gospel to Jesus being the true Israel. And if you, uh, there's something interesting connection that happens there with this passage. So listen to the instructions in Exodus 12, so way back in the Old Testament, that are given about the Passover. So the Israelites at this moment in time are slaves in Egypt, and they're being told about the Passover. And it says, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
Passover meal happened in those final moments before the Israelites were released from slavery. And besides instructions about food, they were given these instructions about what to wear because they were to dress in a way that would allow them to leave quickly because it was time for their rescue. Do you notice how similar the instructions about what to wear are in that Exodus passage to this passage where Jesus is sending the disciples out? Because it is time for a new Passover. It is time for a new rescue. The disciples are going out to offer freedom from slavery once again. This time not slavery in the land of Egypt, but slavery to things like religion, to lust, to power, to work, to family, to whatever that thing is that is keeping people confined in a narrow place, in a difficult way of living. And they are saying, you guys, turn around, change your mind. There is another way. Come and follow Jesus. The problem with slavery is that though it is bondage and though it is something that keeps us confined, it also gives us something in return. Old habits feel like good company. I've been addicted to sugar because sugar tastes good. (laughs) I have bought too many clothes because it feels good to be looked at as looking fashionable and it feels scary to look like I like worry that I might look dumb in front of a group of people. I've struggled through doing something like looking at my own white privilege because I it gives me something and I might have to give something up if I really grapple with what that means. So here's an all play question for those familiar with the Old Testament. Do you know what it is that the Israelites keep saying over and over and over again when they are in the wilderness after they have left slavery? Let's go back. Let's go back. This is too hard out here. Like, yeah, we're not slaves anymore, but like, what does life look like without this thing that we have lived with for 400 years? This is too scary. And yes, we were slaves, but we had food, and the food tasted really good. Whether we preach it with actions or with words, not everyone is going to respond positively to message of repentance and freedom. The food is hard to leave behind. And so we shouldn't expect fame, Facebook shares, appreciation. That is not what this is about. Those are not our markers of success. We have to redefine failure. In fact, Jesus says to the disciples as he's sending them out, if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Now, to be honest, this is one of those verses at first glance that really bugs me (laughs) because it feels judgmental and harsh, but I want to dig into a different possibility. Uh, And it starts with shake off. Um, before I go into the meaning of that, anyone already have Taylor Swift in their heads from just me saying the word shake off? Okay, yep. Um, anyone, anyone have Florence and Machine in their heads instead? Okay, so we got a little bit of both. And um, you're welcome, because if you didn't before, you probably do now and will for the rest of the message. Um, you know, the Florence and the Machine words, though, are actually pretty appropriate to where this is going. Because she says, it's hard, to, you guys know it, it's hard to dance with the devil on your back, so shake it off. Shake it off so you can dance. 
shake off is ektinasso, which means to swing away. And it means to violently shake something to get something that is adhered to it to come off. So picture like something stuck on your shoe and you are like shaking it off violently to get that off. And I wonder, this is a question that's not in all play because this would be a pretty risky one to answer out loud. Has a feeling of failure or disappointment or fear or unmet expectations ever adhered to you and kept you from trying again? What if Jesus is inviting the disciples to preach a message of freedom from the place of feeling free? To shake off the fear, to shake off the failure, and not be held back from what they are designed to do. What if he's reminding them as they go out what their role is in this whole thing? That God does not expect victory and miracles in every town. Just as with Jesus in Nazareth, the people will be free to accept or reject them. Just as with John the Baptist, the story that comes later, there's going to be circumstances way outside their control that could send things off the rails. But they will not have failed if people don't accept them. They will have succeeded as soon as they step over that fear into the first town and they open their mouths with the message that has been burning inside of them to share. As soon as they rub oil on the head of the first person who needs a reminder they are cared for, they have succeeded in the process. There are too many people in this world that need hope than to let something get stuck on our feet that could hold us back from moving forward. We have got to shake that off and go into the next town and keep going. And Jesus goes on to say that they should shake it off as a testimony against them. A testimony in Greek is martyrion. And it's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to translate the words for ark of the testimony. And the ark of the testimony is the place where the Israelites place those objects that are a sign of God's faithfulness to them in a place where it can preach to generation to generation to generation of what God has done for the people. And so it's interesting to me that every other time besides this one, in the New Testament, New Testament when it says testimony and them, it's translated, translated as testimony to them. And it's only here that it's translated testimony against them. Because I wonder if how we leave a place is just as much of a testimony to them as how we were when we were there. Jesus was sad that Nazareth did not accept him. He marveled at the ease at which they found a reason to reject them, but he did not scold them. He did not stay there beating his head against the wall trying uh, to get them to change their minds. He stayed for a while. He dispensed the grace that he could, and he moved on. He kept preaching freedom and kept, pre kept healing and kept being called what he was there to do in the world. And the people of Nazareth would have heard and seen that. They would have heard how Jesus was still going around and what he continued to do. Until one day, 
James, a resident of Nazareth, Jesus' brother, one who had rejected him in this passage and in other passages, realizes that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. And James repented. He turned around and he followed and he became a disciple himself. And we still quote James to this day because he wrote one of the books of the New Testament. The time that Jesus was there in Nazareth was not James's only opportunity. And as a friend of mine has said, God gives lots of on-ramps. Jesus didn't need to stay there and keep staying in frustration. His role was to keep going and to keep bringing hope to those who were ready to hear it. So my question for you today is what might be Jesus sending you out to do? How could you shake off the fear and move forward in little and small ways to bring messages of hope and repentance and love and freedom? I spend a lot of time um, teaching in scripture circles. Um, I've got one, one, I'm doing the one this Wednesday if any of you guys want to come. So it's small groups and we talk about deep questions of life. And we were talking about the word tov, which is a word that I think Mike has jumped into before. It's the idea of good and what we have with inside of us to give to the world. And we were asking that deep and vulnerable question of what are your gifts? What might you bring? And uh, we used a quote from Chariots of Fire runner Eric Liddell that you might be familiar with. And he said, all I know is God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And we were discussing what we would exchange for the words fast and run. One woman said something really interesting that might not come to your mind right away. She said, hosting treasure swaps. So it turns out she invites her friends to go through their closets and to get rid of the stuff that's holding them back, the stuff that you spend your Saturdays organizing because you can't find a place for it, (laughs) that you end up not doing other things. She invited them to bring all that stuff to her house and to come together for a party where they would be with each other and where they would shop without spending any money with each other's stuff and go home with whatever they wanted and donate the rest. And she said she adores doing treasure swaps. And it's just a simple party, a fun party it sounds like. But she, in that simple act, is helping free people from the bondage of stuff helping free people from the bondage of materialism and consumerism, and she's offering a chance to people, for people to be welcomed in community. She is preaching the gospel without words, and she knows it's a little way that God is sending her out into the world. She never knows how many people will come. She never knows the quality of the stuff that will be brought or whether anybody will like it, but she doesn't worry about that. She just keeps inviting people to do it. For me... Uh, it's doing things like this. It's being with people, and especially being with people around the scriptures and digging in together. But almost every time I teach in any setting, there's a moment in the process where the questions come and where I start being haunted by past mistakes, where I start worrying about the risks of how things will go, and I freeze. And I have to pause and ask myself the question of this passage. What is it really that God is expecting of me? What really is my role right here? What is Jesus sending me to do? And how can I walk forward in the confidence of that? And so to us, I believe that Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out. 
And did you notice that when he sends out the disciples, he's sending them out in pairs? We don't have to do this alone. Look at your neighbors. Look around in this room and say, what can we do together to bring this message out there to a world that needs it? If you fail, if others let you down, if things don't go the way you expected, you can shake it off and you can keep going. You never know what the next town will hold. So we are going to enter into a time of silence. And I would invite you to think about some of the questions of this passage. Maybe you're in that place where what you really need to think about is that message of repentance that's for you today. That God is looking at you saying, there is always hope and you can turn around and you can be with me and I love you. Maybe you want to sit with that. Maybe you want to sit with the questions of what you need to shake off. What is it in your life that has been holding you back from moving forward and doing what you feel in your gut God has called you to do? Maybe it's the question of how do I move forward? What gifts do I have to bring into this world? So sit for a while in that message, those questions in silence. And the band will come up and play a couple more songs. And during those songs, you might choose to sing them. You might choose to stand. You might choose to sit. You might choose to go over into this corner where there'll be people on the prayer team who can be praying with you and for you in this journey. But friends, we are in this together, and we don't have to be afraid. If you would like prayer, there will still be prayer team members around up here who would love to pray with you. Now I'd love to give you a benediction. It's our tradition at Genesis where I go to put out your hands if you would like to receive this as a blessing to take with you to your week. May God grant you the ability to live in the freedom of repentance and to know that no matter how far you have gone, it is never too late to take an on-ramp back to love. And may God grant you the ability to live in the freedom of shaking off the past and moving forward in confidence, bringing hope to the world through who he has made you to be. Amen. Have a great week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.